This podcast is brought to you by copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. Hey, copy blogger, it's Daryl, and I'm back on the podcast this week after uh, Tim took over having a great conversation with Ramit Safety. Uh, and I'm excited to be here today with copy blogger editor in chief Stephanie Flaxman. We're going to be talking about translating traffic. We've talked a lot about SEO on the blog in our free workshop last month. Tim was on the podcast talking about it. What do you do with that traffic? How do you write really compelling content on your site after bringing traffic? To your website. So Stephanie, thanks for being here today. Super excited for this conversation. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so glad we get to have this content chat today. I agree. I think this is a really important conversation because, and maybe this is something I'm totally biased towards because I'm a marketing guy. Uh, we talk a lot about how to get people on your website. We talk about social media. We talk about SEO. We talk about uh, webinars and blah, 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 blah. All these things that drive traffic to your site. Um, but the one thing that's awesome about copy blogger is we have for a long time talked about creating really powerful content that persuades and converts on your website. So today we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I think just to, um, just jumping off, um, from what you said, a distinction that we've kind of had to make Uh, keep making as content marketing has evolved is, you know, we're not talking about the type of content where someone clicks on your site, they get information that they're looking for, and then clicks away and then never visits you again. Um, Because a lot of people, you know, if we talk about like content series and things like that, think, well, why would you want to split up all your information into multiple posts over a month or two? Why wouldn't you just put it on one post? And, you know, that's sort of an example of where people don't necessarily think of content from the perspective of, oh, you're connecting with people over time. And it's more than just coming to your site to get information. It's uh, creating the the content that really resonates with someone on a deep level so that they become part of your audience when anything comes up, you know, relevant to your topic or the world. They're like, I want to go to that person to see what that person's writing about. And you're really relationship building over time, which is um, how you build your audience of prospects who will um, be happy to buy your products and services, uh, you know, at, when they're ready to make a purchase. So it's all this nurturing um, that is so much more than just putting information up on a site. And um, yeah, so that is, uh, like you said, what we talk about after you get the eyeballs on your site, how to keep them there and how to really nurture relationships with them. And yeah, this is something that Brian and I mentioned on a podcast last fall, and it still sticks out to me so much is there used to be a phrase that content is king. And I think uh, what was really trying to be said and meant by that is that trust is king. Like we're building trust here and Mm -hmm. content, writing good content, writing good content over a long period of time is part of what builds that trust. But my question to start us off here is how do we determine what goes into content that we know will resonate with people who are visiting our site? 
You mean copy blogger specifically or just or like, just in general? Like how are we in a general way? Yeah, like how, what do we do? I have I have some thoughts here, but I, I'd love to have you start. But what what are the elements? Like where do we start when we think about creating content that's going to resonate with people? Right. Yeah. Like research is such a big part of content marketing um, that as much as like you hear it, I just feel like it's a step that is overlooked because in that research is where empathy for who you are writing for or who you're creating content for comes from. You have to find out what's really going on with them. And, you know, we're talking about real pain points that aren't, you know, superficial things uh, that are sort of, you know, easy to overlook. Like what is the transformation someone wants to make in their life, in their business, uh, in their lifestyle, in their education? Um, You know, what is really um, driving them uh, and how you can help them along the way. So I'm, I'm, I'm being pretty vague <laughs> and I normally say like vague is the last thing you want when it comes to content. Um, but, uh, I'm going to say something a little, I don't know, it could be controversial. I'm interested in your, um, take on this. I think, um, experimenting is really important when it comes to content marketing because you don't really know until you publish. So you want to make an educated guess with the research that you do about, you know, the people that you're aiming to serve. But I don't think there's really any substitute for actually just starting to publish content and then fine tuning from there. Because you learn so much when you are in the act of producing content. You can plan for months and and years, really, but you... um, from my experience, you don't really find those winning details that will help the people that you want to help until you start publishing content. How do you feel about that? Do you think that is uh, a waste of time or naive or it takes too long? No, I think you're totally right. And and I would call this less experimentation and more intuition. I would call this like a marketer's or a content marketer's intuition. Like mm-hmm. I think you have some level of understanding of what a customer want, must must want or must like or needs to hear or wants to learn. Um, and so you, you mentioned this idea of research and it's a step that a lot of people skip and it is reminding me of mm-hmm. this rant that I've been on lately. Um, I just actually started reading a book called Extreme Revenue Growth and I was really, I was really compelled by the title <laughs> and it's by a guy who's like a really, a really important startup voice in San Francisco and the first part of the book talks about understanding your customer and understanding the promise that you make. And I was so blown away by that because he's not sitting here talking about like really fancy ideas about how to increase revenue in your business. He was saying that actually the biggest mistake that people make in trying to grow their business or trying to grow anything uh, in business, whether it's your reach or clicks to your site or actual revenue is not understanding your customer. And I'm on a huge rant for this because I think we lose sight of that really quickly. I think that we lose that that research step and we make some assumptions about our customers and then we just go and then we write and we hope it works. And so I do think, yes, I think I think what you're hitting on is really important. I think the intuition or this experimenting will inform a greater understanding of your customer. Um, But I think this idea of understanding your customer is actually the most foundational step in building really compelling, really persuasive content. Like I would not consider myself 
a writer. I write a lot. I wouldn't consider myself a writer. I wouldn't consider myself an editor, but I feel like I can write good copy because I'm really good at empathy. I'm really good at understanding my customer and I'm really good at empathy. And I think those are the, the foundation steps to writing really compelling content and writing content that will resonate. And I think that's exactly what you're saying here, Stephanie, is at first go and get feedback. What are people responding to? Then you're learning what mm-hmm. your customer wants to read, what they're clicking on more, what they're commenting on more, how they're engaging with that content. And then you're learning what is not. And I think that's the very basic, the very beginning steps of understanding that. That helps your intuition grow over time, I think. And I also think mm-hmm. that um, this research piece that you mentioned before. So I want to I want to push this back on you a little bit. When you said research at the beginning as the foundational step, what did you mean by that? Well, I... I think I didn't want to say intuition. Uh, I don't know if that sounds a little woo-woo, but we're okay with being woo-woo around here. But I really, um, I think that is part of, because everyone starts with an idea and hopefully um, this won't be too a roundabout way of answering your question, but everyone starts with an idea that they're excited about. Like, hey, I, I have this great idea for this product or the service or this content idea or this like game-changing philosophy or something like that. But we don't know if anyone else is really going to care about it. I think what I'm really getting at is the act of content marketing itself strengthens your empathy yes. because you're able to put your init- initial ideas out there and see if anyone cares about it. And pivot from there, like lean into it if people do care about it, but maybe they care about it in a different way that you didn't even think of, or maybe they don't care about it at all. And you don't have to waste your time creating a product or a product or a service that no one cares about, but maybe you find out that that they care about something else that you could also help them with. So I think content marketing itself is research. And I mean, there are things that you want to do before you start, if you have a brand new idea and you don't have your own website yet and and things like that, like see what else is out there. Because if you have such a groundbreaking idea that nobody's done before, maybe there's no market for it, you know, things like that. It's really interesting. I say a lot that I'm not a fan of excitement because it leads to a lot of disappointment. Um, and instead, like kind of just taking a more grounded approach to following something that excites you. Like, it's OK if you get excited about it, but um, I think it can get kind of dangerous if you assume that other people will. So, you know, finding out about competitors, has anyone done this idea before? Is it viable? Um, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be just because no one's done it before, but you know, doing basic things like that to start. But I, again, I'm just repeating myself at this point, but I, there's no substitute for practice in any area of anything that you want to do. And that drew me to content marketing um, because it was a field where I could evolve. The nature of it is an evolution. It's not this fixed thing and you're constantly learning. So anyone who's really into growing and um, evolving as a creative person, as a business owner, as a you know a writer, editor, artist, whatever you are, content marketing is such a great outlet for it because um, the more you publish and 
I'm not saying you need to publish something every day or there's a certain, you know, requirement for how often you need to publish. But if you do things consistently, uh, you you just learn more about the people that you want to serve and, and it helps you develop that empathy. Um, so the research is, it, it comes at different levels and in different ways. And uh, sometimes it's, a lot of it is an accident, but the accidents only happen in the doing um, so again, yeah, there's no substitute for actually doing, you can't do content marketing in your head. I like it. And so that brings me to a, an idea that I often have because you had said something at the beginning, something along the lines of you started a idea or a project or a company because it was meaningful to you. And I think a lot of people who are either entrepreneurs or freelancers, that's why they're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like it was really meaningful to them. And so the one way that you can work on understanding your customer is making a couple assumptions. Assumption number one, that if I care about this, there might be other people who care about this as well. So mm-hmm. that's that has to be the beginning assumption before you can start testing it at all, right? Because mm-hmm. you're right, there is a fear that maybe I'm the only one who cares about this. I think that fear stops a lot of people. I think that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is just assuming that everybody cares what I have to mm-hmm. say and what I think and all of my ideas. And I think that's kind of what you were hitting on is like, like there's a danger on that end of the spectrum as well as just assuming everybody is thinking about that. But mm-hmm. understanding your customer at that point, like you may not have any customers or you may just be getting this content marketing thing at that point. And one of the tools that I use is uh, envisioning a younger version of myself. So writing content mm-hmm. for a younger version of myself. So the version of myself before I solved X problem before I had an understanding of X idea. So then I have a really clear idea of who my target customer might be, is this younger, less experienced, less knowledgeable version of myself. And then it makes it really easy for me to have empathy for myself. Like the most easy person to have empathy with is yourself. And if I'm having empathy with a younger version of myself, I then am able to create what I think is much better content because I'm able to understand my customer or my theoretical customer because I'm hoping that somebody else is is curious or interested in the same ideas as me. But this idea of writing for a younger version of myself has been super helpful when I'm in this testing stage, this, mm-hmm. this understanding and testing stage of content marketing. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a great example of that middle road because the extremes are what keep people stuck, right? The two that that you just mentioned. And that's actually a finding a way forward in in the middle ground of like, everyone's going to care or no one's going to care. And then, um, you know, those are quick ways to just your idea fizzling out and, and nothing happening. I can give you a personal example of of my train of thought when I was uh, much younger and I decided to, you know, start my own freelance business. I had writing and editing jobs prior to wanting to start my own online editing service. And when I was doing research about other people who were doing similar things, there were so many people who identified as a writer and an editor or writer slash editor, like that sort of profession. And to me, that seemed really vague. So I thought I'm going to only do editing services. And that's what's going to help me stand out. And I'm just going to be an editor. Turns out there's a reason why people identify as writers and editors, because only getting editing work, especially when you're starting out, is pretty difficult. 
but I, I thought I was being really specific and, um, and that was going to make me stand out and get me ahead. And what ended up happening was people didn't need things. People found me, but they didn't need things just edited. They needed things written. <laughs> so they're like, Hey, we found you, but we don't need, like, we need you to write this. It seems like you're qualified to do that. And so, I mean, that was just, um, uh, no, if humbling is the right word, but it was a very, um, a good lesson that I needed to be flexible and not just because I wasn't going to turn away that work. You know, people were finding me. I was doing something right, but it just wasn't what I um, expected. Or there was a reason why people had these like slash titles, writer slash editor, or um, it wasn't that they weren't experts in either. It's just the, the environment. So um, you have to make mistakes like that. Yeah. I love that example because that was you experimenting, like, you know, you experimenting with an idea and you gained a greater understanding of your customer. And I think mm-hmm. what you understood, this brings me to like, I think the second, uh, the second point in understanding the customer is understanding the problem they have that they're willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that the, like you learned that in that example of that story, you learned like, Hey, like I want to, I want to, I want to personally differentiate myself, which at that point you were kind of only thinking about yourself. You weren't thinking about your customer, like what they might want and what they might need. And so then you had that humbling experience saying, well, actually, like I might be thinking of myself and how I can differentiate myself, but what I actually need to do is understand what my customer needs, the problem that they have, the problem that they have and that they're willing to pay for. And what you came to find out was that they needed a writer and an editor, not just an editor. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of myself. Exactly. And I think that's so natural. Even when you have lots of experience, I think that can still happen. Like I wouldn't put that past me today if I have a new idea, you know, because it's just so easy to get carried away with this is how I want to be seen and this is how I want to be represented and this is what I want to do. But um, you have to be open to, you know, once you learn what people are actually willing to pay for, like you said. So here's my, here's a theory that I have. I have a theory that when you feel blocked in writing, it's because you're thinking of yourself and not thinking about your customer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's often the case. You're like, because what happens often when people are feeling blocked is like, well, I don't know what to write about, or somebody else says this better than me, or all of these excuses that come up, they're usually fear-based excuses. And they're usually about why you're not as good as somebody else. Uh, Like, oh, that site over there is bigger than mine and they write it better than me. Well, stop thinking Mm -hmm. about you and like reframe and think about what it is that your customer is needing. And then you can think about step two is like how I can uniquely solve that. Like, how can I solve Mm -hmm. that problem different than a competitor is the next piece. But if you get those two things mixed up, and you do step one before step two and think about your uniqueness first, you get blocked really easily. You're mm-hmm. not sure how to create compelling content, content that's differentiated, content that is compelling. And of course, it's not compelling because I thought about myself first, not about the customer first. Right, right, right. And it, I mean, it's natural, you know, it, it, it's just something that happens because I know that exact uh, feeling. If I want to kind of open myself up to receiving the idea that I need for something that I'm writing, I have to shift my focus into how I want to serve, not me being um, a great writer. 
Can yeah. I tease uh, our, our free training that's coming up? Um, because something that I talk about or something that I will be talking about is, you know, the worst thing that you can do, and this really speaks to what you're saying, is try to sit down and write something good. That's the quickest way to frustration and writing bad content is when you sit down and say, I need to write something good right now. Um, and I have techniques about how to get around that. So um, can I can I talk about the free yes, training? Please, please do. So on Wednesday, March 18th, I am teaching um, a free training about transforming your, your writing into content that gets uh, shared. And it, it's similar to what Daryl and I um, are talking about because a lot of people work really hard on content and it's not that they're not trying hard and it's not that they're not doing a good job or not that they're trying to be a good writer, but there are so many factors that go into creating actual powerful content for your website um, and your business. And so, um, yeah, so this free training is really for anyone who's looking to take their content to the next level to get more momentum with um with what they publish so if you this is free again um if you'd like to sign up today we'd love to have you there if you just go to copyblogger.com slash workshop hyphen content uh you can sign up right there we will reserve your seat and also the um the posts on copyblogger if you've um, read the blog um, over the past week or so, they all have ways for you to sign up. So if you just happen to be on any post, you can scroll down to them and, and sign up there as well. I am so excited about this. So it's Wednesday, March 18th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and we'll have links in the show notes to be able to join that as well. Uh, and if you're hearing this after the fact, we will also have recordings available so you can watch it. Uh, I'm super excited about that, Stephanie. So I want to recap really quick. I want to I want to make sure that because I, I feel like we were hitting some really good points and I want to make sure that we're recapping this conversation a little bit. So mm -hmm. the big idea here is how do we create compelling content once traffic has hit our site? How do we create content that resonates, content that builds our trust, content that persuades and converts, all of this, like really good content. And what we're talking about is understanding the customer and then writing to that customer specifically. So having an understanding of the customer um, we talked about the idea of using the younger version of yourself. We talked about the idea mm -hmm. of just experimenting, seeing what resonates and what doesn't. Uh, and then we talked about the idea of making sure that you have the customer in mind first. Um, what other thoughts do you have here about creating really compelling content, using empathy, using customer first mindset, creating content that's going to be shareable, content that's going to convert, content that's going to persuade, that's going to resonate. That's going to keep people coming back later as well. Details are so important, but unfortunately, details are hard to talk about because we all write for different audiences and we all have different styles. Um, something that is appropriate for a copy blogger might not work at all for someone else's audience. And someone who has a huge, big audience who loves them might write something for a copy blogger that isn't appropriate for a copy blogger. So, so unfortunately, details are hard to talk about, but it really comes down to specifics that hook people. And a lot of that also just has to do with easy reading. Um, you know, better writing is the foundation of better content, whether you're talking about writing, whether you're talking about audio, whether you're talking about videos, um, because it, it just makes it easier for a person to 
uh, absorb your message when you are clear. Um, you know, because a lot of people, I'm the first one to admit, you know, not everything has to be grammatically perfect. And, um, you know, you, it's uh, especially when I speak, I don't say things correctly all the time. And I don't think that necessarily hurts me or it doesn't necessarily hurt anyone else. And, you know, and with speaking, that's something that I can practice because I, I find my writing is a lot clearer than how I speak when I'm because I record videos, uh, for example. And I've practiced writing a lot longer than I've practiced being on camera for videos. So, yeah, I, I will reinforce practice again if you are a writer who wants to produce better written content, because learning to cut out fluff and unclear messages that distract from your main point is something that you can practice over time. But it makes a difference with, again, developing those relationships with people because they're they're people they're individuals who becomes your audience of prospects so I think the clearer you can be with more um, just making your message crisp and detailed um, and really for a specific person uh, instead of a general idea of a person it's all going to make those I mean, they're, they're minor changes that add up to big results over time. So I always write to one person instead of, like I said, an idea of a person. So, you know, writing for Copyblogger, there's uh, obviously a lot of different people in our audience. So every piece of content is could potentially serve someone else. But I don't think about writing for the entire Copyblogger audience when I write for Copyblogger. Um, when I have a content idea that I think will be helpful, you know, I'm writing to the one person who I think will help. And obviously it's going to help a number of people. But I, my writing is going... Um, to be more precise and it's going to, it's kind of counterintuitive because it's going to connect with more people, the more specific I am. Yes. So, um, so that's how you write for such a big audience. Yeah. That piece is super important. That is the most counterintuitive part of marketing. In my opinion mm -hmm. is the more specific I am, the more it will resonate. It feels like an opposite. It feels like it's such a subversive idea and it's a mm -hmm. huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. I think people make, which goes all the way back. It loops all the way back around here to understanding your customer. You could only be specific. And I love that you're saying it's the specifics that hook people like, and mm -hmm. the, the specifics that hook people is because they can resonate. They can see themselves in the writing. They can say, yes, me too. Or yes, I have that problem too. Or yes, I want to solve that too. And that mm -hmm. resonance only happens in the specifics. And the specifics only happen when you understand your customer and write for that one customer. Exactly. Yeah. It sort of brings everything together that we've um, been talking about. There's so, there's so many layers um, to it, but, uh, but they're all connected. I agree. This full circle thing. This is like, if you understand this piece of writing, like, I don't care how long you've been a writer, you will just write better content. Like, I don't care if you've been writing for 10 years or 10 minutes. If you can understand this concept of understanding a single customer you're trying to write for, understanding the need that they have, understanding step three, how you can uniquely meet that need. Now, all of a sudden you're beginning to write really specific contents and I, question here. And this is something I know personally, because you've said to me before, but what is the role of editing play in these specifics? Because I can imagine that just writing this content, having this understanding is generally going to make our writing better, but 
what role does editing play in like punching up these specifics and, and dialing in these specifics and cutting away some of the fluff? Do you have any thoughts about that? I'm sure you do. Yeah, I I mean, editing is still magical to me as much as how for how long I've been doing it and for how long I've been writing. Um, I'm still always amazed. I will think a piece of writing of mine is done, completely done, but I'm letting it sit for probably a day um, or overnight until I go back to it. I'm like, it's done. It just needs to be edited. And I'm always blown away by how the editing process really fine tunes uh, my writing or someone else's writing if it's if I'm letting someone else's writing sit for a day into having those winning details. Um, so I would say editing plays half the role, if not more than half the role in getting specific because it it is a different part of my brain. I don't know if it's like that for um, everyone, but I definitely have to... Um, as much as I might be proud of something I've written, writing for me is still just getting the ideas out. It doesn't necessarily mean that anyone else would care about those ideas. So for me, editing is the stage where you fine tune your text to make other people care about it. And it's not like manipulating people, um, but we're talking about persuasive copywriting. So it is, it, it's a stage that hooks people with your voice. You can really fine tune your writing voice a lot in the editing process, or I, I always uh, say that the best uh, writers are good editors, which I was like kind of patting myself on the back a little bit for being, for being an editor. But when I read something that I like in a magazine um, or online or a book, I always, I don't really credit the writer that much. I'm like, who's that editor? Um, but, uh, and that could be a little extreme, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's a magical process to take something that looks really good already and to make things clear so that the message shines instead of jumbled text, uh, which is again, how, why editing is fun to me because it can seem kind of technical. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. Or proofreading is boring. Um, but for me, it, editing is so artistic. And it really, um, it, when you're done with it, I just think even if you were proud of something before, um, having sharp editing skills can really uh, transform good writing in, into something that's really powerful for someone else and something that makes other people pay attention. And uh, like I'm talking about in the free training next week, share it with other people because it's made so such an impact on them that um, that they want to share it online or however else, but it's sharing your content. That's another way of getting those eyeballs to your site instead of just, you know, like what we were talking about before with search engine traffic. There's so many ways um, to get people to see what you do because it is disappointing publishing when no one's paying attention and in content marketing is a long game. We always say that, but anything you can do to um, make your content better. And especially like when you get those opportunities, having um, a really great portfolio to show um, when people do start paying attention to you. And I, uh, I have, t- I have two other thoughts that, that are kind of related, but like you were, like you said, Daryl, the, whether you've been writing for 10 minutes or years, I'm constantly becoming a better 
writer. The process never ends. I've been writing for so many years, but the more I, again, focus on empathy, learn to focus on empathy, the more, you know, I practice stop thinking about myself and, and how this can actually help people, the better writer I become. So it is an, it's a never ending process. And um, the, what was the other, what was the other that I said about, well, while you're thinking about that, I have a question because yeah. you you mentioned one really practical and tactical thing about editing, which is letting your writing sit for a day and then coming back to it later. And I know that you wrote an article about editing yourself, but what mm-hmm. are some other tips or tricks that we can do to become a better editor for ourselves when we have to be both writer and editor uh, for our content? Yeah, I really... Um... I don't recommend this in life, but it's good for editing. You have to be hard on yourself and really develop a critical eye, which takes practice just like anything else. But I question everything when I'm writing. You really um, getting into the habit of not taking things for granted. Word choice, for example. I I correct a lot of um, incorrect word choices because the, the writer thinks that the words appropriate. And then, uh, I mean, I'm constantly Googling definitions to double check things. And then I'm like, that's not really what it means. And you need to, and then as the editor, you insert the more appropriate words. So if you were doing that for yourself, just being really uh, hard on yourself and being critical with every adjective you choose, is that, is that the correct one? Being very mindful of, of punctuation. So again, it's a small thing, but it really adds up when you want your reader to be focused on your message and not being distracted with incorrect punctuation or a typo or things like that. So yeah, it's, it's a general or vague skill, which again, I, I don't love saying, but you can actually do it. It's not some sort of far off concept. Treat each sentence like it's your, the only thing you're paying attention to. Don't gloss over a sentence uh, just because you think it's right. That's how I, you know, I've, I have editing training from a long time ago, but how I really became uh, a strong editor was just reading sentences really slowly and being super critical of every word. I have an article, um, or I mentioned this in an article on Copyblogger that I was in school. I wasn't uh, great at standardized testing because I read so slowly and I was like analyzing the writing. Um, so I would run out of time and cause I didn't have enough time to finish, but it was really me beginning my editing skills or honing my editing skills. Cause I was being um, very critical with how I read instead of just glossing over things to get like the general reading comprehension, which uh, it balanced out later in life. I, I, I have reading comprehension skills too, but and that sort of helped me discover my love for editing too, because editors do read that slowly. So that is sort of a long winded answer for how people can actually get started, but it absolutely um, works. If you slow down, and start critically examining every sentence you write, you become a, a better editor. And you see the opportunities for how you can add in you know, the, the details that will make people laugh. There's the thing called the chuckle point. Uh, that's a term that I, that I coined in, in one of my copy blogger articles. If you can make someone laugh, 
they'll remember you, you know, and isn't like, oh, your content has to be one big joke, but just, um, you know, little things that end up hooking someone opposed to someone else who could have written the exact same thing and they don't add their own, um, there's, they approach the topic in a more general way that maybe, um, is, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? It's maybe more neutral, but they're, they're missing the opportunity to connect with the people who would really appreciate, um, the, those specific details that, that make the content creator more memorable to them. Uh, yeah. And I think so much of that comes out in editing and not the initial writing process. I agree. So I think like what I'm hearing too is, you know, this, this is something, a skill you can build over a period of time. But for somebody who's just like never edited their writing before, like, first of all, give it a day. Second of all, read slowly. Mm -hmm. Third of all, question everything. And fourth, I'm going to add this one in. Put yourself in the shoes of the customer that you have an understanding of. Again, like whether Mm -hmm. that's a younger version of yourself or whether that's an avatar that you've created out of a customer understanding, like give it that critical eye, read it slowly from the position of that customer. What questions are they going to have? What understandings do you just have intuitively? Or do you just have, because you've done it a million times, what insider language are you using? What generic language are you using? And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's super helpful. So as you're building up that skill over a period of time, give it time, read it slowly, question everything, and then put yourself in the shoes of the customer. I think is a really simple framework for editing writing right now. Mm-hmm. And your point is a more concise way of, of, of what I was saying <laughs> or the, or the last point I was making um, exactly, because when you do put yourself in the shoes of, of your reader and your customer, you find out oh, what would make them laugh if I said that instead of that, you know, that's going to form more of a connection. I almost snapped because that's how I like make a point, but I didn't think that would sound great on audio, which I guess is me putting myself in the, um, the listeners shoes. Listeners ears, the shoes, of the listener, <laughs> listeners like ears. <laughs> the ears, the, yeah, the earbuds of the listener. And I didn't snap, I guess get excited and I snap when I'm making a point, but yeah, thank you for, um, summarizing it like that. Cause um, for sure. that's what, what I was really getting at. Well, Stephanie, thank you for so much for this conversation. This is something I'm super passionate about. Um, is this idea of empathy because it makes people who aren't as skilled writers, me, I'm a less skilled writer, but I feel like I can become a good writer by understanding this idea of empathy. But tell us one more time about your workshop uh, before we're done today. Yes, I would love to have uh, you join us uh, on Wednesday, March 18th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I'm hosting a live training about how to transform your writing into content that gets shared. And I'm sharing seven ways to avoid crickets after you publish. So there's going to be a lot of more specific information than what I talked about today. So um, you can go over to copyblogger.com slash workshop hyphen content to sign up. We will put the link in the show notes for this episode as well. And uh, there will be a replay if you can't make it live. Definitely sign up to get all the information about that. Awesome. Thank you, Stephanie, so much. And until next week, everybody, this is Daryl from Coffee Blocker.